would just uh, um, find a home in their hearts and, and um, help it to uh, bear good fruit in their lives. In Christ's name, amen. I, uh, I really um, kind of did something odd with our series. We're actually moving into our Easter series, and I thought, well, we did Christmas in the Old Testament last Christmas, or two Christmases ago, and I thought, oh, we'll do Easter in the Old Testament. This will be completely different. And then last night I was reviewing sermons from last Easter, and I realized that I did the same theme last year. Um, um, but I, I don't think that's bad. I, there's plenty of stuff to talk about with this. And the reason that that is is, um, you ever watch a, a movie trilogy where um, like all three movies are really carefully planned out, and the first movie will have hints for the last movie? And like you can go back and watch them two or three times, and you start catching things from the first two films that turn up in the third one. Um, I love that. Like, like uh, Back to the Future, we watched that. A bunch of us got together from the church, and we watched Back to the Future. And the, the first film has all these funny little things that are hidden in it that turn up in the last film. And it, it's, it's kind of a neat, a neat thing. The, the scriptures are very similar. Um, as we read the Word of God, as we read the Old Testament, it's oftentimes like there's this temptation to pass over it. And what we miss when we do that is that the story of Jesus begins on page one. And it goes all the way to the Gospels. And then it continues all the way to the end. And actually, if you read it right, it continues all the way into your lives. Um, Jesus actually said that all of the Scriptures testify about his life. That all of them tell about who he is and who he would be and the work he would do. And so, um, especially as we talk about Easter, which is sort of... um, it's the crowning moment in human history. It's the most important thing that has ever happened, ever. Um, as we discuss it, um, the way that the Bible points forward to it gives us a lot of hints. And it tells us a lot of really unique things and really amazing things. And so um, we're going to be digging into it. It's, it's, a, it's a part two series, I guess. I, <laughs> um, but, but we're going to be starting actually talking about Adam and Eve because... Um, um, but before we get into that, we're going to talk about typology. This is a, a theology word that's derived from a Greek word, right? Um, tupos is the Greek word, right? And tupos is the word that you would refer to. Um, does anybody ever make anything with clay? I heard my daughter ate Play-Doh, and <laughs> so she's making stuff with Play-Doh. Um, <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> Um. Um. Went down the wrong. (laughs) You ever say the wrong thing? Like I should not have. That's God punishing me. So when you have Play-Doh, right, you can lay it out flat. (laughs) Stop. Um, You can lay it out flat. I really did just get that down the wrong way. That wasn't... um, And you get these little molds, and you can stamp the molds in the Play-Doh, right? When you pull it out, you have the image you've stamped there, there, right? Um, (coughs) I'd take another drink, but I'm afraid. Um, we have the image that you've stamped there. Like, you'll, you'll have, like, little food things. I mean, they practically tell kids to eat the stuff because you've got a stamp, you know. And look, it's a cookie, you know. And 
you know, you pull it off and it looks like a cookie, or look, it's a bird, you know, and the, the stamp um, is actually the opposite of what you end up with on the Play-Doh, right? You get this imprint. In ancient Greece, or in the ancient world, um, if you were a potter and you were making stuff, you would um, have the stamp that you would use to mark your, your productions, right? Kind of like your copyright. And when you would stamp it, um, you would get this image, and it would, it would tell things about who made it. Um, Paul tells us that there are things in the Old Testament that are God's tupos, his imprint of the story of Jesus in history before Jesus shows up. And so as we read the scriptures, we read them, like especially the Old Testament, we read them with an eye toward the work that God is going to do in Jesus. Um, is everybody with me? And that is the tupos, or the typology. Now there's a difference here. There's a thing called allegory. Allegory is, <coughs> is kind of a bad practice. And it's where instead of looking for the typology, you sort of force symbolism into the story. Like the Old Testament stories, there is symbolism in them, but they're stories that happen. They're not just big symbolism like, like um, parties where, you know, and, and so like, like the difference is typology is where you can see God's clear intent and God's clear pattern of behavior that translates into Christ um, with allegory. Allegory is where you take it and because you, you, you're looking for something in it that's not there, you sort of force a message onto it. Everybody with me? Um, and so as we go into this, I want to make it clear. I'm trying to be very careful um, that I'm, I'm looking for stuff that is in the scriptures and not stuff that I'm forcing onto it. Um, but we're going we're gonna to start off with Genesis 3. Um, for those of y'all who are in Sunday school, you don't need to hear this again. But everybody else, <laughs> they've been talking about Genesis all year. Um, for everyone else, um, up until this point, the world's been created. Adam has been created. He gets Eve. It's like the best gift ever. He gets like a wife and a companion, a helper. And they, they name all the animals and they've been living in the garden. And suddenly, the snake comes along and Eve and the snake have a whole discussion and Adam stands there dumbly while his wife kind of ruins the world. Um, and it's his fault because he was responsible. He didn't say anything. But they, uh, so in six we see, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. <laughs> Sorry. And she gave also to her husband who was with her and he ate. They had one job, right? <laughs> they had one job. That one job was don't eat off that tree over there, right? And, and they did it. Um, they had one rule, and they managed to break it. Um, this is um, sort of the beginning of every problem that ever takes place in the whole world, right? Um, it's like, uh, I just gave me a watch when we were dating, um, a very nice watch, which was a mistake to give it to me, because it's a fairly fragile watch. It's a pocket watch, and it's glass on both sides, and you can look inside, and it's got all these little gold inlaid gears with little jewels and junk, and, and, and all of it works perfectly. It is a carefully balanced timepiece that I have broken like eight times. Um, and it actually works fine when it's in its original setting. The first time I broke it, I cracked the glass. And when the glass cracked, just enough moisture got in that it made the mechanism stop working right. And, and in very short order, it went from not working right to not working at all. 
the whole world is like this. In its original intended state, it operates perfectly. People live forever. Nobody hurts anyone else. The, the, everything operates exactly as God intended it to, right? Um, and God interacts with it. <clears throat> when sin enters the world, it's like that crack in the glass. And very slowly, corruption and brokenness enters. And the first thing that enters, you know, God warns them, hey, you do this and you'll die. So from the point where they ate the fruit, they were dying. And their days were numbered at that point. They were no longer to, going to live forever, as was the intent. Has anybody ever lost a family member, a close family member, and when they died, it felt wrong? It felt like it shouldn't have happened? You know, like, like the world was out of order all of a sudden? The reason that that is, is we're still designed to live that way, but we live in a broken system. So Adam and Eve do this, and the very first thing that comes about is the system gets broken. And from this point forward, um, everything gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And it's, it's a tragic, awful, awful thing. Um, so Adam and Eve have eaten, and the very first thing that happens, they then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. <coughs> and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. So up until this point, Adam and Eve are naked, right? I've had people ask me for years, what's up with that? Um, I cover up when I'm ashamed, right? I, I cover up when I don't want people to see it. Like, so I'm, I'm up here, I'm dressed because y'all don't want to see me not dressed, right? I'm not, I'm not going to be doing that. We cover ourselves because we don't want people to see. Adam and Eve had nothing to hide. They had nothing to be ashamed of. They had nothing that they didn't want the world to know about. They didn't even understand the idea of wanting, of wanting to hide things, right? They were completely open in their relationships. In their relationship as husband and wife, they were completely open. There was nothing to hide. There was nothing to blame. There was no fighting. There was no nothing. It was actually perfect, right? Has anybody ever been in a like, relationship where you, everybody in the room was hiding stuff all the time? Has anybody been that person where you're talking with folks and you spend your whole life hiding who you are or something about yourselves? Adam and Eve, say thank you, right? Um, because that's what they do. The first thing they do is they cover up because suddenly they have something to hide. They have something to be ashamed of. They have sin. <coughs> and how do they cover themselves up? Well, they make clothing out of fig leaves. I'm guessing this was not the best fashion statement ever. It was probably not a very sturdy set of clothing, right? Um, but it's the best they could do with what they had. And so the first response they have to their sin is they cover up. Adam makes stuff to cover themselves up. And then God shows up. And what do they do? They hide. It's more shame, right? And so between each other, they had to cover up, right? And it's not like they had stuff that they hadn't seen before, right? I mean, they've been, you know, in the garden together naked for a little while. There's no one else to see them. But suddenly they're ashamed of themselves in front of each other. And they've got to hide from each other. And then God shows up, and they sure as heck don't want to talk to God at this point, right? You know, they had one job, and they blew it. Um, and so they went and hid. Abby does this once in a while, where she'll do something that she knows she wasn't supposed to, and all of a sudden she's behind the couch, you know, or, and she's not good at hiding. Like, she's just not. 
Um, you know, and where are they going to go? It's God. I mean, really? So they hide from God, which is the next product of sin, right? Like our natural reaction to sin, and this is all of us, okay? Our natural reaction to sin is to hide it. Isn't it the truth? I mean, how many of y'all have stuff that, you know, you've buried deep and sort of pretend isn't there? You know, or you really hope nobody ever figures it out. Or you really hope that it never comes to the light of day. And, and you go to bed at night and, like, it's there, right? That half hour before you fall asleep, it's right there. And you can't stop thinking about it. Um, there are actually people who go so far as to try and hide that stuff from themselves. As you see people who drink themselves silly every night, they can become stuck in that pattern of, of consuming substances to not feel anything or watching TV or being entertained or, or um, exercising or whatever to just not feel anything. The reason they're doing that is they're hiding from themselves. They're hiding from this big ball of yuck that they've created and they're trying to pile up the fig leaves so they don't have to look at it. Of course, the problem with that is the next morning when you're sober, you've got a headache and it's still there. Um, and, and a lot of times you did more stuff that you've got to put into the pile and eventually your fig leaves are so you know, spread out you can't hide it and it kind of catches up with you. All of life is that way. Sin is that way. And Adam just... I, I come back to Adam a lot in preaching because... Because he nails it down, doesn't it? Has anybody ever experienced this? Where your sin just gets so big, you can't get away from it. It's like a giant snowball. can't run far enough. You can't run fast enough. You can't fly. You can't anything. Because you can't get away from yourself and you can't get away from God. Um, and so, God comes into the trees of the garden. And what does God do? Does man seek him out? No. God looks for Adam. Right? This is important. Because Adam, in his sin, doesn't want anything to do with God. Instead, God shows up and he starts looking for his beloved creation. Right? I look for Abby when she breaks stuff. And I look for her because, well, because I love her and also because we need to have a discussion. <clears throat> a brief and unpleasant one. Um, but the Lord God called to the man... Where are you? He answered. I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So he's already given it all away, right? I mean, like he, again, does he say, I heard you coming, and pretty much I ate off that tree, so I didn't want to be here when you got here. He didn't say that, right? He starts downplaying it. He starts telling half-truths. He starts, like, shaping what the story was. Um, this week... I, I, it's, a, it's such a terrible story, but it's so cute. I, I, uh, I, Abby was watching a cartoon, and I shut it off because I needed to get her dressed to go somewhere. And as I was getting her dressed, she was fussing, and so I leaned in to kiss her, and she punched me in the face. I mean, just hauled off and bam! <laughs> and, and so I, I'm not going to lie, I spanked her, right? I mean, you punch me in the face, you're going to find out, like, I'm, you know... <laughs> I, I'm not the guy to trifle with, um, at least not if you're a little girl. It's, you know, I'm... <laughs> um, and she went running off, you know, hollering to her mom. And she asks, what happened? And what does she say? Daddy spanked me. <laughs> she didn't say, I hit dad and that was really a mistake. It was, daddy spanked me. 
And, and then she, well, why did Daddy spank you? And I think I actually heard her say, because he shut off my cartoon. <laughs> really? <laughs> but it's not what happened. But, it, you know, did somebody teach her how to do that? No. She figured that out on her own, right? The same way that Adam figured it out on his own, and the same way that all of us figure it out on our own. When we're forced to stand before God, and we're forced to own up to this pile of mess we've created, right? Our first inclination is to try to cover it up as best we can. More fig leaves. Adam breaks out more fig leaves, and he's like, oh, I heard you coming, and I was afraid. So I, because I didn't have any clothes on. You know, and, and so I went and hid, and, and God sees right through it. Because, honestly, lying to God is a little like Abby trying to lie to me, right? It ain't working. You know, except God's bigger and smarter, and he's already watched us do the stuff we shouldn't be doing. And so, as I heard you in the garden, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And so Adam's sin is put right there in front of him, Right? And so Adam owns up to it? No. <laughs> because the sinful nature, that's what it comes down to when we are infected by sin, when we are covered in the shame of the garbage we do, right? When we're covered in it, we don't want to own up to it. We don't. And so Adam responds, <clears throat> the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Whose fault is it? Yours and hers, right? It's more fig leaves is what it is. It's Adam making up covering to hide from his sin. Is he fooling anyone? No. He sure as heck isn't fooling himself. But there are people who manage it, actually. I mean, maybe he is. Maybe he's convinced himself that it's God and Eve's fault, right? But there are people who do that. Um, when I would do addictions counseling back in, back in Indiana, actually, whenever I do addictions counseling, it's funny how often I talk to folks who develop these problems and they use these little mind tricks to get out of it. It's everybody else's fault. Or they'll make jokes to try to avoid it. Or they'll lose their temper so nobody will talk about it. Or they just pretend it isn't there. And they just create these mental barriers to try to escape guilt. Right? Has anybody ever done that, by the way? You blew it really big, and the first thing you do is you start coming up with reasons why it's everyone else's fault. I had to yell at my wife because... Or I had to, but in reality, sin is sin. Ain't no one way or the other about it. And we can talk to ourselves forever, and if we get really good at convincing ourselves, what we end up doing is hardening our hearts to our own sin. And actually, we kind of screw ourselves up. We get into a place where we can't own it. And if you can't own your own sin, you're in a lot of trouble, right? Adam stands there before God and, and lies. <clears throat> he blames he disowns everything. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So whose fault was it? The serpent's. It's not hers. It's somebody else's. I have a mental illness. I just have a bad temper. I just, you know, if my wife would pay more attention to me, if my husband would mow the lawn sometimes, if it's just excuses. It's just excuses that don't cover the reality of our spiritual condition. And our spiritual condition kills us. It starts with them being dead before God spiritually. Their relationship with God is effectively broken at this point. And every man, woman, and child from this point forward throughout history until Jesus shows up 
is born spiritually dead and they live spiritually separated from God. Because <clears throat> our sin, like God can't be in the presence of sin. He's holy. God's holiness is so powerful that it consumes everything it comes into contact with. Like, if you read in the Old Testament about people who would step into the holy places, it generally just destroyed them. Like, that was it. They were gone. Right? Um, there's a, you know, those Chuck Norris jokes? Um, you know, Chuck Norris, when he jumps in the water, he doesn't get wet. The water gets Chuck Norris. It's kind of like that. God is so holy that when God comes into the presence of sin and filth, he doesn't get dirty. It gets clean or it gets gone. Right? And so we have separation from God. And that's the beginning of what happens here. And it was never the intent of the creation. We all live, when we're in our sin, when we're steeping in our wickedness, we live separate from God. With this, this barrier between us that is our sin. It's there. You can pretend it ain't, but it is. And check out what happens next. God, we're going to jump ahead about ten verses. What happens is God starts handing out punishments, Right? hands out all these punishments. And, and Adam, you know, you're going to have to work the field and there's going to be rocks and there's going to be thorns. So when you're out picking rocks, say thank you to Adam. Um, when, you, when you see weeds, Adam. Um, Eve, you're going to have to come under the subject of your husband. So like, you know, it, it well, yeah, broken families. Thank you, Eve. Um, painful childbirth. Thank you, Eve. Although I watched it, it didn't seem that bad. Um, <laughs> I say it every time just to mess with her. Um, <clears throat> check out what happens here. 21. Um, they're leaving the garden. It's right at the end of the punishment time. So God hands out all the punishments and he says, Then the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve and clothed them. And we're going to hit stop there. Adam covered his sin up with fig leaves, with the best he could do, right? But he was still effectively naked. God responds by taking one of his animals, one of his creatures, an innocent creature at that, if you think about it, right? Because it hasn't been tainted by the fall yet, and God slaughters that animal, and he covers Adam. So Adam covers his wickedness, he covers his shame with, with garbage, right, with leaves. And he covers his sin before God with lies and with terrible excuses. And then God responds by covering Adam's shame with, 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 like, with clothing, with a real covering, with a sacrifice specifically. It's actually the first sacrifice we witness in the Bible. Um, there's a line in Hebrews, I bet I got it right there, Hebrews 9.22. And according to the law, one may almost say, all things are cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. The reason for this is, is um, the punishment for sin is death. We read that in Romans, right? Like, without death, Sin can't be covered. And so God covers Adam's sin for him. Can Adam do it himself? No. God takes that step and covers Adam's sin. He saves him from himself, from his shame. We look forward, and in Romans, I'm going to jump forward to Romans because I really love this passage. I tried to, well, for while we were still helpless... At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, check out the parallel here, right? Adam is hiding in his shame, and God seeks him out. God pulls him out. God calls out his sin, and then God covers him up with a sacrifice that he performs for him. 
So while we were helpless, at the right time, Jesus, the Lamb of God, the perfect Son of God, comes into this world and dies for you. For all of you. For the shame that you hide. Jesus took it on Himself. Every little bit of it. And He thought of you while He did it. And He loved you while He did it. While He suffered and died. Because ultimately, God may have covered Adam's shame with the sacrifice of an animal, but He covers my shame with the sacrifice of His Son. Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us that in that, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Um, much more now than having been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now receive reconciliation. What Paul is talking about here is he's saying, listen, there's this distance between us and God, right? Jesus, actually, if you go on in the rest of chapter 5, I might have a little more of it here, but, but we're reconciled by the blood of Jesus, right? Adam's shame is covered. And then we discover, as we start reading the New Testament, that Adam is the opposite of Jesus. He's that imprint in the Plato, right? The tupos. Um, he's the exact opposite. Because, you know, again, like if you have a little stamp, you stamp it in the Plato, you don't get the exact picture. You get the opposite picture, right? So words are backward if they're, you know, spelled forward on the Plato. They were backward on the imprint. Jesus is the opposite. Um, oops, and I didn't include it. Um, Paul talks about how because one man brought sin into the world, through one man salvation comes, right? Through one man many men died, through one man many men are saved. In Adam, in his covering of shame, we see ourselves, right? We see our own sin. In Christ, we see hope and we see salvation. And really, it's not something we earn, it's not something we work for, it's not something we do anything to get. It's something we have faith in Jesus, we have faith in Christ, and He saves us. And so as we kind of start in on Easter, from the very beginning, this was God's plan all along. When we were hiding in our, in our shame, He would seek us out, and He would pull us into His presence. And He would cover our sins with the blood of His Son. All we ever need to do is confess and have faith, and we're saved. You don't earn it. You don't buy it. You don't anything. What did Adam have to offer God? Nothing. What do I have to clean myself up with? Nothing. Do you ever get stuck in mud so deep that when you got out, you couldn't clean yourself? You know, like there's so much mud on your hands and your arms and you're trying to get it off and it's just making it worse, right? It's a little like trying to clean yourself up from sin, but God brings the mighty blood of Christ that cleanses us. We're going to close in prayer. Do we have one more song? Or Okay. And I'm going to close with a blessing after the last song. Um, <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we praise you that in Christ we receive reconciliation from you know, through the through the blood that you sacrificed or shed for us. That in Christ our our shame is covered far better, and that it's cleansed. That as far as the east is from the west, so you remove us from our sins when we're under the grace of Jesus. And even though our sins are red like blood, you make them white like snow when we're cleansed in the blood of Christ. We thank you that you sacrificed for Adam, and we thank you that you sacrificed for us. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen.
you'd stand, we're going to play Mighty to Save.